<laughs> Welcome to another episode of Ideas Without Borders. My name is Simon, and with me today is the current chapter president, Mandy Coleman, here to talk to you about her recent experiences as a Queen Elizabeth scholar in Uganda. Welcome, Mandy. Thank you, Simon. It's great to be here. We're going to spend this episode building off of Nigel's wonderful introduction of the Queen Elizabeth Scholarship Program back in episode 16, part one. If you haven't listened to that, go check it out. Here today, we have a living example of someone who has followed through with Nigel's recommendations, gone through the process of finding a placement with the Queen Elizabeth Scholar Program, and successfully completed a term abroad, and now has come back to campus to share her wonderful wisdoms. Can you start by describing what that process was like when you first heard about the program and proceeded to apply as a potential candidate? Of course. So my introduction to Kiwi scholars was actually by Nigel himself. He came into our classroom and presented on the opportunities. And I simply searched on Waterloo Works to get the opportunity. I came up under Kiwi scholars and an international co-op experience. Some background about me, I've always wanted to go abroad for a co-op term. Uh, Working internationally has always been a passion of mine and I wanted to take the opportunity over co-op to find out if it's something I want to do and co-op is the perfect opportunity to do that. So after I heard from Nigel about the experience, I decided to apply. The position I applied to was with Inventor Enterprises and they're based in Uganda. They only operate in Uganda as of right now. The position was a business development fellow and the purpose of the position was to partner with a community-based organization and help them start a business enterprise selling clean energy technologies. So the products that we were selling were water filters, solar panels, solar lights, and cook stoves, as well as clean burning charcoal, because cooking in Uganda is done still using biomass, so they use a cook stove that burns either firewood or charcoal. So those were the products. And afterwards, I heard through Nigel that I had been offered an interview, and I met with Marvin from InVenture, and we had a great conversation, and next thing you know, I was packing my bags to go to Uganda. This whole process kind of occurred with some overlap with the innovation lab that happened last summer here in Waterloo. I saw some interviewees, I guess, walking Mm -hmm. in and out the same hallway as some of the attendees, which was really exciting because, you know, this is real. There are actual people doing this. And yeah, I guess before we go further, could you take a moment to tell the audience a little bit more about your background in terms of what you study here on campus? Of course. So I'm studying my Bachelor of Engineering and, or I guess it's called Applied Science, (laughs) Um, and I study Environmental Engineering. So the reason I went into the program was to work in water resources, specifically with a focus on international development for water projects. Throughout my co-op terms, I kind of started to steer away from that into more of the professional engineering side. But again, this co-op was to see what it's like to work abroad. And while I was abroad, I actually met very many people who are doing the WASH program, which is like the big international water and sanitation projects. And it really opened my eyes to how many opportunities there are out there for those kind of projects. But yes, my background is in environmental engineering and on campus, 
as Simon mentioned, I am involved with Engineers Without Borders. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> so hearing you talk a little bit more about the renewable energy products that you were selling as products in Uganda, would you say this position it was more focused around energy technologies or water resources? Inventure itself is focused on energy. However, because they have to boil their water in Uganda, it also becomes an energy problem because to get clean water, they use energy. So that's kind of where the overlap was, but it was definitely more focused on the energy side. Can you provide us a sense of what the current energy status quo is like in Uganda? Like where do households and commercial buildings get their energy from? And I know you mentioned cooking at home is done with biomass and charcoal. Mm -hmm. What other source of energy are there? Yeah, so where I was located is in Kampala, which is the capital city in Uganda. So a lot of my experience is within the capital city. The people I was interacting with often had access to power through the grid. They were able to get grid power to light their homes and everything. However, it was very expensive and it was unreliable. So even the home that I stayed in, we would often have two to three days in a row where we would have blackouts. And sometimes when the power comes back on, it like surges so it can spoil light bulbs. If your phone's charging, it can break your phone, things like that. So in Uganda, at least in the capital city, access isn't such a big problem, but reliability and high quality of electricity is. Inventure also works a lot in the villages where electricity is not found. Um, you get people with flashlights or candles that they're using to read at night and so that's where the solar lights come in, the charging stations, things like that. But yeah, the electricity is not used so much for things like cooking, fridges, air conditioning. None of that stuff is what they use their power for, but it's mainly lights um, if they want to be connected to any kind of like television or computer, things like that require electricity. Uganda is developing slowly, but in the villages, it's still very, very dark at night. I see. This goes back to the two classical problems of energy that Dr. Malcolm McCulloch mentioned at the Wise Innovation Lab. The first is, how do you move energy through space? And the second is, how do you move energy through time? It's cool to just hear a living example yeah. of <laughs> what that really means. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Tell us a little bit about your experience there in terms of the workplace culture and what it was like living for four months in a completely new country on the other side of the planet. Like in our previous episode with Kareen and some of the other junior fellows, they mentioned that working in sub-Saharan Africa was kind of like a startup, if you may, or at least one-to-one -one matching what startup culture tries to be in North America. What is your take on that? Yeah, so the work culture is very different than it is here. I worked at the same place that I was living, so my home was also the office, the kitchen table was our office table, so that meant that we worked when there was work. Um, if we needed to do something re really late at night, we would. If we needed to work on weekends, we would. But that said, I'd say that the work culture in Uganda is much slower paced than it is in uh, North America. 
there's not like people don't stress themselves over time and things like that. My favorite example to show the difference is we had a meeting with the local council leaders and it was scheduled to start at four o'clock and we sent out these invitations by letter because email is not a thing over there yet. Mm -hmm. um, and by 4.30, we were showing up as the hosts, so half an hour late. And then it wasn't until around 5.15 that the first person actually showed up. So that was a difference I had to get used to for sure, but it just goes to show that like their stress levels and the they're very laid back. Things still get done. Do they get done exactly at four o'clock? No, but we still had the meeting. It was very successful. So it really, it kind of was like you have to learn how to go with the flow. But in terms of the startup culture, I'd say it was similar to what, I've never worked for a startup, but it's similar to what I imagine a startup is like, where you have a bigger piece of the pie that you're contributing to. So everything that you do when you're working with a smaller organization is really impactful. Even something as simple as setting up a Facebook page for them, we were able to work with a social media uh, director who is very experienced in that and get a bunch of people to like our page and the word started spreading and that may not seem like a big deal but for such a small organization to have people know their name to have people start recognizing them as they walk through the community it can be a really big impact so I'm really thankful for that opportunity because it showed me how important impact can be when you're working somewhere I've worked for some bigger firms and you get a very small piece of the pie and you leave not feeling like you've done a lot. But when you work for these organizations with InVenture or as well as through the Junior Fellowship Program, you really leave feeling like you've at least helped them to get where they're supposed to be going. On the note of impact, of all the things that you've accomplished and helped out with during your time in your placement, what would you say is the most that you feel impactful thing that you've done? Okay, that's a hard question. Cause, <laughs> um, it's very hard to separate work from the lifestyle because yeah. I felt that I had a fairly big impact on the family I was living with. But if we're sticking strictly to work, the organization I was working for, which was the Hope 21 Project, they had closed their operations in 2016 and were looking to restart. And so that meant that they had all these documents, all these old projects and different things that they had all the information there, but it wasn't being utilized. So what I helped them do was go through those documents and take out all the important pieces of information and put it into um, different grant proposals as well as their website. And I think that the documentation side, like the behind the scenes work will really help them going forward because now when they want to apply to a grant or if someone asks them what kind of work have you done in this area, they're going to be able to pull up the document and provide it to mm -hmm. them, which for a small organization can be really impactful. Yeah. I can attest to the fact that record keeping, good record keeping is so crucial to everything that you do later on when you're actually making use of the information that you have. For sure. So, well done. Okay, so then let's talk on the flip side more about the social impact on you being there mm -hmm. along with like cultural impacts that being in Uganda has had on you. I have been following you a little bit on social media here and there as you've yes. been posting <laughs> during I'm, what I'm presuming to be your time off. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. 
you've been doing some exploring in the wonderful places in uh, Uganda and also attending some really interesting festivities as well. Mm -hmm. Do you mind sharing some of those experiences with us? Yeah, of course. So just a background. When I was in Uganda, I was actually living with a host family. As I mentioned, the Hope 21 project um, was also our host family's home was also our office. Um, but they also became some of my closest friends there. So I was very fortunate. My host family had kids my age. Um, like, I guess they're not kids. They're 20-something-year-olds. Um, <laughs> but that really gave me an opportunity to live locally, go out to, for example, go out to watch the soccer games or football, as they call it over there, or go to live music, different shopping things downtown wherever it was I was able to go with people my age that really helped as well as the fact that they spoke English in Kampala although English is the national language a lot of people speak Luganda it's one of the tribal languages for the Buganda kingdom and so it was, at times it was hard to communicate with people but the fact that my host family all spoke English they were able to translate for me and um, that was really helpful. So given that I was living with a host family, they wanted to immerse me in their culture. So I ate local food probably 99% of the time. And at first I was a little uncertain, but now that I'm home, I'm missing some of those staple Ugandan foods. And they also took me to a couple of events. So birthday parties, weddings, and funerals were like the three things that I attended. And they dressed me up in the traditional dress, with, which is called a gomezi. We went and there was celebrations, lots of dancing, lots of religious-based things, because um, religion is still very prevalent in Uganda. And so, of course, my family was translating for me everything that was happening. But yeah, it was really cool to be able to attend and see what a wedding is like overseas versus here and actually see like how there's quite a few similarities, which was, I think, the biggest takeaway. I was expecting it to be something totally different. And it was interesting to see that, you no, know, they still like they dress up in a white gown. They have the formal church ceremony, but then they do a reception with a cake. Like there's a lot of ways in which their weddings are very similar to us, which is um, kind of a cool observation. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of exploring the country, kind of this part B of your question. <laughs> um, so after my internship, I took two weeks and I traveled around Uganda. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful country. They have the mountains on either side. It's a very hilly terrain. They have Lake Victoria, the second largest lake in the world. I got to trek mountain gorillas and there's only around a thousand mountain gorillas left in the world. And I was standing just meters away from this beautiful, well, monkey basically, but it was huge monkey. <laughs> I also did classic East African uh, tourist thing, which is to go on a safari. Saw my favorite animal in the world, which is an elephant. And I also went to a rhino sanctuary where they're basically reintroducing rhinos back into Uganda because poachers unfortunately killed off the population. So got to see a lot of the nature side of Uganda as well as living in the city, the, the cultural side. Do you have a favorite moment out of this entire experience? I know it's probably uh, hard to pick one. It's very hard because I was there for four months, so to pick one day was very difficult. I would say, though, that when we launched the Hope 21 project, we did a big launch. We had 
uh, like 100 people show up from the community. There was dancing. We had the local leaders as well as the resident city commissioner, who is someone of high authority in the government. She came and she did a speech, and it was kind of the start of all of our project activities and seeing like all of the work we'd done for two weeks or sorry two months leading up to it kind of come together was very cool and seeing like you do all this work to start something and you know that there's a chance it could fail but on the launch it was getting all the support from so many different leaders it really made me believe that it was going to succeed so that's probably my favorite day but there are so many days that I have so many fond memories of Uganda. That's yeah. awesome. I'm glad to hear you had a great time. And, yes. you know, Canada is glad that you are back. <laughs> yes, it's uh, good to be home. <laughs> it's good to have such a wonderful asset return. So let's talk a little bit more about your ongoing and developing career as an undergraduate student. You've completed a couple of work terms in Canada and now you've just come back from a work term overseas. Mm -hmm. You have, I think, one more yes, co-op left? one more. Okay, so given that, you know, you have gone through all of these different workplaces, how has this placement in Uganda shaped or maybe even changed your mind about the career path that you kind of want to take? Are there any, like, other areas of engineering or maybe outside of engineering relating to like development that you want to explore or are you sticking more so back towards water resources engineering? Yeah, so it's an interesting question because it's something that's been on my mind since coming back. So there's basically two routes that I could take with my career. I could either go the professional engineering side, do consulting, do design work in water resources, or I could do the work international on international projects, international development that may not be specifically on water resources but would still have an impact on the global water supply. Um, and I'm now more than ever very confused about which route I want to take, which is a good thing. It's good to have, like I went abroad and I said this could either make or break this idea for me and it didn't break it, it made it for me. So that means that now I have a very hard decision but I know for sure that this will not be my last time in Uganda. I know for sure that at some point in my career, I will do work in international development. I don't know what capacity it'll be, but I also do still respect the lifestyles here in Canada. Canada is a beautiful country to live in and we're very, I'm gr very grateful to have been born in Canada. So I don't want to live abroad completely, but the future, who knows what it holds for me right now. I'll definitely continue to explore other opportunities like this. It's uh, quite a sensitive time in your undergraduate career that you're heading into because at least from in my experience not too long ago, I found myself uncovering more questions than answers. Yes. But <laughs> it's these questions that keep coming up that actually drive you to go and figure out, okay, what are actually viable paths for me to go down yeah. and more so you know what are some paths that I for sure know I do not want to go down right mm -hmm. and you know I, I think the intentions that you have are in a good place it doesn't really matter what area it is that you're going to work in mm -hmm. I think regardless of that you're going to be trying to do the same thing which is provide people around the world 
with basic rights to natural resources, whether that be energy or water or anything else or clean air, who knows, yeah. right? Um, definitely a lot of interesting courses that you can take in our program from 3B onwards, which mm-hmm. is this term. So I'm, we're going to have a conversation about that later. Yeah. <laughs> Don't spare the details for the recording. Um, what else did I want to, want to ask you? Oh, yes. Um, on the chance that some of your new friends back in Uganda are listening to this mm. at some point in the future, is there anything you'd like to say to them? Oh, I have to say thank you. Um, I already miss them all very much. We've still been communicating through WhatsApp. Um, but it's very weird going from seeing people every single day of your life to suddenly being across the world and not knowing when the next time you're going to see them is. Um, but I know for sure that I will see them. We've agreed that when they get married, I'll go there. And when I get married, they'll come here so that we can you know, exchange um, experiences. Um, and I just look forward to the day when I can welcome them to Canada and show them around. That's awesome. So now that you're back, um, going back to the whole QES procedure, mm-hmm. is there anything else you have to do in, in terms of like debriefing or just reporting back to WISE? Yeah, so I have to create a scholar's report where it's like a very short three-page summary of my time there, cultural experiences, things like that, um, and then my expenses. But aside from that, um, I QE Scholars is something that you keep with for life. It's not like a three-month and then you run away from QE Scholars. There's um, events for different scholars. There's a portal where you can connect with people. So. Um, actually, while I was abroad, I connected with a couple of people who were also part of the QE Scholars program, um, and I look forward to continuing that to explore those roots because they're people that are like-minded and they have great stories because they've also gone abroad most of the time. So, um, yeah. Awesome. You're just about to spend your first term as uh, a new chapter president of the Engineers Without Borders University of Waterloo chapter. Yes. How <laughs> has... What, or I guess, what kind of mindsets or what kind of big ideas are you bringing with you or do you intend to bring with you to the chapter to share with the rest of the members? So I think the biggest one is to use opportunities like co-op to experience different things. A lot of the people that come to Engineers Without Borders are people with global minds. They want to either do good work for the world or they want to work abroad, things like that. Um, and to continue to look for opportunities. Um, Like two years ago, I I applied and I didn't get an opportunity to go abroad. But I like reflected on myself and I looked at some of the areas that maybe I had holes in my resume, things that I should work on in terms of skills, and then kept persisting and finally got an opportunity. So um, I'm really hoping to share with our members that don't get discouraged if you don't Like, don't take it as a sign that you shouldn't do it if you get rejected the first time. Um, Take it as an an opportunity to grow yourself and continue to explore. Um, I'd say the other thing is to really look at, like, things from a global perspective and not to assume that you know what people are going through. Um, Many times when I was abroad, I didn't really understand why we were doing things, um, but after I just agreed and watched it play out and I things like respecting the culture and doing things that may cost money but are are important culturally can become really important down the road Um, 
you may have the best ideas in the world, but if you can't get people to believe you and if you can't implement it properly, then your idea doesn't really matter. Um, there are many, many technologies out there for clean water, for example, mm. like almost more than you can even imagine. But the problem is getting them to be implemented into the communities effectively is still a tremendous issue and getting people to trust you. Um, I had a lot of people question me when I was overseas, like, mm. why are you here? Are you trying to get money from us? Are you giving us money? Things like that. Um, and so building that trust and taking the time to build trust with people and build connections is really important because no matter what technology you're bringing in, if you don't implement it in a way that's culturally appropriate, that's actually for the needs of the people, then it's not going to be effective. <laughs> this is uh, very similar to a recent paper that I'm working on, um, also for WISE, um, talking about the importance of addressing context when mm -hmm. trying to upscale any sort of energy solution or technolo technological solution, if you may, um, just because there are unforeseen interactions between technical systems and social systems yep. that might, you know, stem or give rise to social conflicts and. You know, this goes back to this whole discussion we had earlier about productive uses of energy and social value of energy and how that definition changes from place to place. And that, you know, without proper consideration of what it is you're exactly trying to solve in the social context, you cannot be as impactful as you initially intend to. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's like so great that I'm hearing the exact same thing from somebody like you who is an, a developing professional before they actually head out into the real world and, you know, well, not to discredit your experience <laughs> or anything, you have been in the real world, but before you actually become a practitioner, like a full-time practitioner, that you, you appreciate and understand the importance of these subtle but very complex interactions and that... Uh, you know, developing trust is just as important as getting the target efficiency right of any sorts of technologies. Um, for those who are kind of interested in this topic, what would you say were some key, I guess, notions or actions that you took? I know you mentioned, you know, just ex being very accepting and letting things play out in order to build people's trust. But in your context, in Uganda, what sorts of gestures or um, you know actions meet, translate to you know uh, the development of trust or mm -hmm. respect? So, in terms of respect, something that I tried to do, and my host sister will tell me I did a very bad job, but I tried <laughs> to learn their local language. Okay. And when you're walking into a community and you're able to greet someone in their local language, it goes a long way in saying, like, I respect who you are. Yep. I respect your culture. Yep. Like, please welcome me. Okay. Um, so that's one thing. Um, walking and working with people who live in the community was another really big thing. Mm -hmm. um, I was working in the community that I was living. I wasn't driving in every day, mm. working for a nine to five and then leaving. Yeah. Um, and I think that like 
living there, you can also begin to understand more of the challenges. Like, mm. I've never cooked on a cook stove. I don't understand how they work, <laughs> truth be told. So I don't pretend like I know them. Yeah. I ask people who have cooked on them their whole lives. They don't know what an electric stove is, some of them. All they know is cooking on firewood. And so, um, you know, asking them for feedback, like, mm -hmm. do you like this? Um, mm, what would okay. you change about this? And part of Adventures program is within the first couple weeks is you do a community survey. Yeah. And you say, what are the struggles that you face? And you have to be quiet and just record. You don't assume so, anything. Yeah. You just get their information. So. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I guess being humble is a piece of <laughs> advice. Don't pretend like you know everything. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, positive ignorance, as someone <laughs> once told me, is just like literally you don't know, but you're willing to learn. Exactly. Right? Um, whereas negative ignorance is that you don't you don't know something and you don't care. Right. Mm -hmm. um, okay. I think we're chewing up quite a sufficient amount of time. Um, if Okay, last thing before we leave, and this will probably loop back to Nigel's episode in 16 part one, mm -hmm. but for those who are seeking to get involved and apply to the QES program, where exactly, can you iterate once more, where exactly do you start? Do you start on Waterloo Works or do you go to the website from WISE? So if you're looking to get involved in QES, um, the postings are often on Waterloo Works. However, if you're interested in international experiences, you can always come to the Engineers Without Borders Waterloo chapter. They will have the contacts because many of those students go abroad. Um, but you can also look online through the WISE program. Um, I believe that all of the past fellow reports are online. So you can read through those to see some of the other experiences that people have gone on this term. Ah, that was the link I was thinking about. Okay, I'll leave that exact same link that Nigel mentioned in the description of this podcast once more in case any of you are interested in reading about it uh, and hopefully applying to see where you end up in the big world and what sorts of interesting energy slash other natural resource uh, challenges that you're going to end up tackling. Mandy, thank you so much for your time and chatting with us today. Your conversation and sharing of experiences is val invaluable. It's indispensable. And I'm sure that a lot of our listeners out there can appreciate some of the lessons you've learned um, through this podcast. We look forward to hearing from you again as the new chapter president, bravo, uh, of our chapter. And are excited to see what the chapter does next under your leadership. For more information, I guess, check our Engineers Without Borders Facebook page, also linked on uh, what time our planning meetings are scheduled, where they're held, what sorts of things in terms of projects we've got going on this term, and what fundraisers might actually pop up and come our way. Um, the Krispy Kreme donuts last term were actually so good. Like, <laughs> I actually went so and bought good. like two boxes for like my research group, and it's they're addicting. They and are. <laughs> you know what? Like for the past little while, they've they've been like sort of on the down low. Like just just because I think a lot of other clubs are doing it now as well, mm -hmm. so they're not that much of like an anomaly anymore. But like when 
there's something about like stacking 20 of them together by a table that just gets people <laughs> like I want one I you know yeah so you know definitely hope uh, some more Krispy Kreme comes along this this term it will be unfortunately my last term uh, as an undergraduate student or maybe fortunately who knows it's been very long of a degree um, I'm sad to leave because of great things like this um, but enough blabbering uh, this concludes our episode I'm going to cut it here <laughs> Tune in next time for our next episode of Ideas Without Borders. Thanks so much for listening. As a continuation of this discussion, join me in the next episode where I chat with Mandy's employer, Inventure, to learn more about what they're doing to make clean energy more accessible in Uganda.